Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. So we're recording this episode in the midst of a huge RSV surge in the United States. This is the late fall of 2022, and it's been all over the news, really. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And for those of you who listen to our podcast regularly, you may hear my voice sounds a little different right now. And that is because I have a child in daycare, and this has been a very, very rough month in our household. And I'm also seeing so much illness in my office that's likely due to RSV that it's basically all sick visits. It's it's packed. I think I saw 26 patients yesterday between RSV and flu and well-child check. So it's been kind of crazy. And RSV, we think of it mostly as causing like a cold, um, but it doesn't just cause an outpatient illness. There have also been a surge in hospitalizations for RSV And this has been sometimes leading to children's hospitals reaching capacity and really being overwhelmed sometimes with the number of hospital admissions that are needed. Absolutely. And even before these current times, RSV is the most common cause of hospitalizations in infants for respiratory illnesses. And with RSV all over the news, with many families experiencing RSV, including Dr. Lena's family, <laughs> we thought that now would be the perfect time to take a closer look at this virus, the usual illness that it causes, plus some of the complications that may occur and what parents need to know about danger signs that their child may need more medical attention. Right. So let's start with demystifying this name, RSV. Dr. Dean, what does it stand for? So R, respiratory, S, syncytial, and V, virus. So it's respiratory syncytial virus. And I know what you're going to ask next. What's that? You're reading my mind? No, not at all. But I figure you're going to ask about the name. Where did it come from? Well, we know it's a respiratory virus. And I do remember some of my microbiology class, not a lot. Um, But when we grow cell cultures in the lab, these large cells form syncytia. That is multinucleate cells, which result in multiple cell fusions all coming together like a glob, right? Like a goo. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you you got it. Yeah. So almost all children get infected with RSV before they're two years old. So it's nothing like special. You know, my kid got RSV. Pretty much all kids are going to get RSV. And luckily, it generally causes an illness similar to the common cold with upper respiratory tract symptoms. So, you know, you think of like kind of what I sound like now, that inflammation of the nose, the, <laughs> the scratchy throat, <laughs> the, the sneezing, the, it, the annoyance, but not like a huge deal. Right. So the typical symptoms, runny nose, cough, sneezing, and fever. And babies, when they're ill, they don't feel well, so they might be fussy. They might not want to want to feed normally, so they might feed poorly. The duration of symptoms usually lasts for five to seven days. But there are some complications that may occur, and these include bronchiolitis, pneumonia, or croup. And we'll talk more about these potential complications later. In the United States, RSV generally occurs in late fall, generally October, which is definitely when we started seeing the peak here, and causes infections throughout the winter and then kind of tapers off in the early spring, usually by April. 
And there's some exceptions to that with nearly year-round transmission in southern areas like South Florida. Ooh, that's too bad. Yeah, it makes for weird seasons and weird decisions about prophylaxis, which we'll talk about a little later. sure, I bet. So why are we seeing this huge number of cases right now? So we think it's because of social distancing, closing of daycares, and mask wearing due to COVID, and so that the routine spread of other respiratory viruses, such as RSV, was really dramatically decreased. Right, which was amazing, right? I mean, that's good. Yeah, it was a great thing. I mean, over the past two and a half years, plus years, I've only had one upper respiratory tract infection. And, you know, we're like, you and I, we're like in kids' faces all day, right? So <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's been great. Up until this, exactly, up until this season, I was the same way. And so, yeah, exactly. Like you said, we're face-to-face with kids. We're still wearing masks, of course, in the office now. And I still wear like a good mask, like an N95 Mm-hmm. Of course, when I have any symptoms like this for all patients, but definitely when I ever see a sick patient um, and they're constantly coughing and sneezing in my face. And Mira, like we joke about this, but like she when she's breastfeeding or even when she's just like laying in my lap, she's like into sticking her fingers like literally up my nose right now <laughs> uh-huh. and then like rubbing. She's really into like rubbing my teeth. And so I'm like, well, I'm totally doomed from that standpoint. Uh-huh. You're exposed to basically every kid in her daycare cohort. <laughs> exactly. So nearly now, the daycares are open. Um, in many places, masks, most places, masks are not required, and most aren't using them in, in public. And so really, all these routine respiratory viruses like RSV, they've really returned with a vengeance. Yeah, one thing that I've been seeing on some news channels or people, you know, as they're covering this current respiratory surge, people are are throwing out this idea of like immunity debt, which I don't really like, right? Because it's like it's saying that that maybe like because we had were like locked down and we were being careful for the last two years, now like our immune systems don't know what to do, and that's why we're getting so sick. Do you think that's what's going on, or is that not really the right way to put this? Yeah, I think our immune systems are smarter than some people give us give them credit for. You know, it makes more sense that this is just due to increased exposure. You know, our immune systems still get plenty of exercise and use during lockdowns and social distancing and masking. We're exposed to so many things all the time in our environments. Just think about our close contacts, our family contacts, household contacts, our pets, foods, when we take walks. I mean, we're exposed to so many different things that our immune systems are are processing. Yeah. And so really, this is more like that these viruses have been less transmissible because we haven't been in these situations. And now we're getting to exercise our immune systems a little bit again. And that's not a bad thing as long as it doesn't overwhelm the healthcare system and it doesn't, you know, cause significant illness. That's when we need to be careful. Right. So RSV, we know, is very contagious. It's very easily spread person to person. Mm -hmm. It enters the body through the nose or the eyes or the mouth, and this may be from direct contact with saliva, mucus, or nasal discharge, or because our hands become contaminated with the virus, and then we touch our eyes, our nose, our mouth. And symptoms will generally appear about two to eight days after you've been infected with the virus, and people are contagious for about three to eight days. So both children and adults may get RSV infection more than once per season, Although symptoms are usually milder the second time around. And there's no specific therapy for RSV, unfortunately. Treatment is going to be geared towards what you usually do for a cold. So nasal saline and gentle suctioning may remove mucus and make breathing easier, especially for small babies. 
Absolutely. This is like the number one thing I tell parents to do over and over and over again. And I think makes the biggest difference. So you mm-hmm. can buy saline nose drops just at your regular drugstore without a prescription. They have them in like the baby medication aisle. And if you don't have saline, you can use bottled or tap water, or if under one year of age, then bottled or boiled tap water. And let it cool down, of course. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for that. (laughs) Put one drop in each nostril for children under one, or three drops in each nostril for older children. And then use a suction bulb. First, squeeze the bulb to create the suction. Then insert the tip into one nostril while closing off the other one and slowly release the suction, which draws the clogged mucus out of the nose. I have a story about suctions during our RSV illness. Yeah. So, I mean, as kids get older, like when they're little, they tend not to mind a suction very much. They're like, I mean, they don't like it. They move their head around, but but you can do it. But they can't fight it off. They can't fight it. Now that Mira is 13 months old, she's Mm -hmm. she's a fighter. She's Mm -hmm. got a lot of fight in her, but she she needed this, right? And I, as like the pediatrician mom, was like, I must get that mucus out of your nose. (laughs) Uh And so I'm like pinning her down. And this is bad, but she actually kind of looked... We'll talk about like the signs to look for when you should go in and seek, you know, mm-hmm. medical attention. But she was having some like mild retractions and she was still playing and, and drinking. And, and so I was just watching her at home. But I did order an electric suction on the oh. Internet uh-huh. because and most families don't need this. But it, it just has a little more power than like the bulb suction or the nose Frida where you suck out their mucus. Um which, to be honest, was a horrible mistake because she used to not mind the suction that much. And then you imagine me coming at her with this like machine that's like, <laughs> like to try and get it out. And she was like, what are you doing to me? And she would scream. And now oh. anytime I go near her nose with anything, uh-huh. I totally scarred her with that electric suction that I was trying to, you know, thought would make things better. Just made things way worse for myself. Right, rather than the old-fashioned manual suction. Yeah, the old-fashioned manual suction or the nose Frida, Mm -hmm. probably going to be better than this scary machine that your child will be traumatized by. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, well, that's good experience to share. So... So we've got the suction bulb. We're we're taking the mucus out, getting the clogged mucus out of the nose. Yep. And then you want to make sure you do it on both sides and you Mm -hmm. can repeat it until you feel like you get out most of the drainage. Mm -hmm. And you really shouldn't have to do this more than four times a day. If you do it too much, it can cause some trauma to the little noses or even Mm -hmm. nosebleeds or things like that. Mm -hmm. Cool mist humidifiers can also help break up the mucus, or you can try warm mist by running a warm or hot shower in a closed bathroom. And pay attention to fluids so that the child doesn't become dehydrated because they may be feeding more slowly or have decreased appetite. So frequent feedings may be needed. Right. And acetaminophen or ibuprofen can help with low-grade fevers for children over six months. You can use Tylenol for under six months, but not ibuprofen. That is limited for over six months. And in the really young kids, it's always good to consult your your doctor to get the right doses. Mm -hmm. And avoid aspirin because that may have some more rare side effects. For children one year of age and older, you can use a half to one teaspoon of honey or corn syrup um, as like a homemade cough medicine. It's actually, you know, parents are always like, what cough medicine can I give my kid? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, nothing. I mean, really nothing is shown to be effective and safe in kids except honey. And there actually is some decent data behind honey because it helps kind of coat the back of the throat and reduce the cough. And it tastes delicious. So... Mm -hmm. We want to avoid other over-the-counter cough and cold medicines because they can be harmful for kids. 
So for most children, an RSV infection results in cold symptoms, and it's just annoying, and they just got to get over it, and then they'll recover just fine. Right. But some children are at higher risk for complications such as pneumonia or bronchiolitis. Occasionally, these do require hospitalization. So bronchiolitis or pneumonia means that the virus, RSV, is causing lower respiratory tract infection involving the airways of the lungs or the lungs themselves. And this means in addition to the cold symptoms, children may have difficulty breathing. Right. And bronchiolitis occurs when the small breathing tubes of the lungs, which are called the bronchioles, become inflamed and swell and plug with mucus. And this blocks the flow of air through the lungs, so it's harder to breathe. And it's more common in infants because their airways are smaller. And that means even a little blockage can significantly affect airflow. Many respiratory viruses can cause bronchiolitis. So it's not unique to RSV. It can be caused by influenza, parainfluenza, human metanumovirus, and many others. But RSV seems to be the main culprit in kids, causing about three-quarters of the cases of bronchiolitis. Now, don't confuse bronchiolitis from bronchitis, because bronchitis usually causes problems in adults, and that involves the larger and more central airways. Thank you, medicine, for always naming things in such a, you know, easy <laughs> way to understand. Right. Those at higher risk for severe disease include kids that were born prematurely because their lungs didn't have time to fully develop in utero, especially if they were born before 29 weeks of gestation. Children with chronic lung disease resulting in premature birth. Um, children born with certain types of congenital heart diseases. Those with weakened immune systems. And children who are 12 weeks old or younger at the start of RSV season. Now, other risk factors for severe disease include infants with low birth weight, if the mother smoked during pregnancy, um, exposure to secondhand smoke after the child's born, if there's more siblings in the household or attending daycare or living in crowded conditions, which lead to increased risk of exposure, a history of allergies or eczema, and children who are not breastfeeding because breastfeeding helps protect against more severe disease. So let's talk about the warning signs of more severe disease that parents should look out for. We already talked about that. Most kids really have mild illness. And, and when you have mild illness or a cold, especially in those older kids, you know, older than three months, you know, we said 12 weeks and younger, we're a little bit more concerned about. A lot of this you can just manage at home. So with that suctioning, with that Tylenol, with lots of fluids, and they don't necessarily need to come see us. Maybe a little message to your doctor over my chart is good, but it's not the type of thing just because it's out in the world that we need to go to the emergency room for a test for if our kids start experiencing symptoms or you go to the doctor's office for a test for if they are having mild symptoms. The symptoms that we're about to talk about are the things that you may want to reach out to your physician for, and then we'll talk about the even scarier things that you should go to the ER for. For example, if your baby is working extra hard to breathe, then you know that's a warning sign. So if you notice that they're using their rib or neck muscles if, to help, you know that they're really kind of sticking out, you might see the chest wall retractions where you really see those ribs stick out and the chest looking like it's caving in. That means the child's working really hard to breathe. Right. Flaring out of the nostrils is another sign they're working hard to breathe. Um, especially in the younger babies, you may see their little heads bobbing or like them making this grunting sound like, because they're mm -hmm. trying to like open up those little lungs. 
those are signs that they need to be seen right away. Wheezing is a manifestation of bronchiolitis. And children who are not getting enough oxygen may have the area around the lips turn blue. Another complication is dehydration, since your child may be working so hard to breathe that they really don't have the energy to drink enough fluids. Right. And one thing that I usually say to look out for is if they're having less than one wet diaper every eight hours, that makes me really concerned for dehydration and that they should be seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if they have any of these respiratory signs or signs of dehydration, you really want to contact your health provider right away. Or if it is overnight or at a time where you don't have access to them, bring them into the emergency room. Yeah. So you may need to bring your child into evaluation, either to the clinic, the office or the emergency department, depending on the timing or how sick they are. Right. And call your doctor if you feel like they're not at that stage where you need to rush to the ER, right? Because that we, we know we're getting something new if we go to the ER right now, which is we want to do a new virus. We want to do if they need to be there. But if it's just like you're like, oh, this cough seems like it's getting worse. Maybe you notice super mild retractions, but they're still drinking OK, maybe a little less, but they're having more than that one wet diaper every eight hours. Then call your pediatrician in the morning. We we're all using, you know, having extra appointments right now because we know how rough it is. Another warning sign is if the fever lasts more than three days or you think your child needs to be seen or if they become worse, then yeah, then those are also signs to give your doctor a call. Yeah, I will say that it seems like the fevers are lasting a really long time during this season, but this is purely anecdotal. The diagnosis of RSV can be made clinically due to the usual signs and symptoms and the level of community transmission. So I did not swab Mira for RSV but I assume she had it because I've seen it a lot of it before. Um, it wasn't going to change anything we did, and it usually doesn't change anything we do. It reassures us a little bit, I would say. Like, if kids have had fever for a really long time, and I'm like, they have cough, and, you know, I'm hedging, like, mm, should I get a chest x-ray, or should I, should I just continue to wait and watch this? Maybe I'll swab them if it's going to change management, right? But otherwise, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, so it's really for the more severely ill children, then you might want to make the diagnosis with a nasal swab because you want to know what's causing it because you want to know this, some, some of these viruses do have specific treatment or, or it may affect kids who are admitted to the hospital in terms of the appropriate isolation, for example. Right. And one of the specific things that I look for when I see a kid in my office with bronchiolitis or RSV or really any respiratory virus is getting an oxygen saturation. So what that does is it shows, are the lungs doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is delivering oxygen to the body? Or are they so sick that they aren't able to do that? So if the oxygen level is normal, the kid looks very well hydrated, and it doesn't look like they're getting tired from working so hard to breathe. Those are generally indications to me that it's okay that we continue to watch them in the outpatient world, like in your daily life at home or checking in with your outpatient doctor, your pediatrician. And occasionally we'll do a chest x-ray because sometimes if we're worried that there's lung involvement like pneumonia, then the chest x-ray can confirm that. All right. So let's say your kid does test positive for RSV or where we, your, you and your doctor have a strong clinical suspicion that it is RSV. I think you said that that the clinical course is three to seven days, which is a big range if we're talking mm-hmm. about going back to daycare or to school. <laughs> when would you say it's okay to go back? Well, kids have colds all the time, and we don't normally exclude kids from daycare if they simply have cold symptoms. But they should stay home if they really can't participate in the usual daycare activities 
if they require more care than the staff can provide, or if they have a fever and they're lethargic or irritable, then those are other reasons for the child to stay home. They really can't be at daycare if they have those symptoms. Yeah, usually in my practice, I'll say 24 hours without a fever and improving symptoms is when I would suggest going back. Does that sound reasonable? Yeah, because you don't need to wait for all the symptoms to like completely resolve. You can get lingering coughs for, you know, for a while afterwards. And the runny nose, literally, I would have never sent my child to daycare if she had could, could not go with a runny nose, unfortunately, these right, days. Right, that's like the whole winter, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually, RSV is really common with one to two out of 100 children being hospitalized for RSV in the U.S. each year. So, I mean, that's pretty significant. It's a lot, yeah. It's a yeah. lot. It's yeah. a lot. It's really it's it's, it's relatively common reason for hospitalization, and these children may need to be admitted for extra oxygen or for intravenous fluids. Most children that are admitted to the hospital will go home in two to three days, but there are some cases that are really severe and they need intensive care, where they get help of a respirator to really help open up their lungs and help them breathe. So, what can parents do to prevent RSV infection? Don't enroll your kid in daycare. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. That does increase risk for sure. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's obviously not going to work for a lot of us. But hand washing is always appropriate um, since we know that RSV can be transmitted via contaminated hands. And for those children that we talked about who are at risk for more severe disease or for any parent who really wants to avoid RSV, then really the only thing you can do is limit exposure to decrease risk of infection. So that would involve, for example, avoiding daycare if feasible. We know that's not always feasible. Avoiding interaction with other children, with crowds. And definitely, I mean, a common sense one is to avoid those who are sick. So those who are sick with cold symptoms during the RSV season. I know. It's so tough because I have a lot of families that have a newborn in the home And then they have an older child who was previously in daycare. And I'm just constantly like, they're asking me like, well, what should I do right now? Because the transmission is so high. And and I think it's always a really hard discussion and decision for anyone. But I don't know. It does seem like it's a big risk. Yeah. I mean, we had these discussions with, you know, earlier with COVID, COVID, right? The same thing about, you know, exposure and different household risks. And so this is something that everybody's going to have a different risk tolerance and you're going to have to make some difficult decisions. Right. For sure. And we know if your kid has a cold, try to keep them home to prevent them from spreading it to other kids and exposing others. And you can decrease the risk of severe disease by breastfeeding and avoid exposure to secondhand smoke. Yeah, there is a monoclonal antibody injection. I know that sounds very, you know, (laughs) confusing and big um, that can reduce the risk of severe RSV for children, young children who may be at high risk of severe disease. Yeah, but there's no routine vaccine yet available for RSV. I know, but how about on the horizon? Yeah, yeah, there are several different candidates that look really good on the horizon. Yeah. And I think that was like one of the benefits of sort of this whole, you know, warp speed COVID vaccine, right, is that they may have used some of the technology that they developed during that. Or am I wrong? I think the ones that are getting really close to approval have been in the works for for years. Years. Okay, that's good to know. Well, we're all like anxiously awaiting that vaccine because, Mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, that would be a game changer in pediatrics for sure. Yeah, it really would. 
if you do have a child who falls into that higher risk category of what we talked about earlier with like prematurity or immunodeficiencies or um, heart disease and, you know, you have just given birth or your kid is young, it's really important to talk to your primary care provider to see if they're candidate for this prevention, the monoclonal antibody. It's called, I only know the brand name. Palevizumab. Okay. Palevizumab, the brand name is Synergis. Right. And they get it once a month throughout the RSV season, which already has started. So you may be a little behind if you haven't done it yet, but better late than never. Most hospitals do a really good job of screening kids and are proactive about that. In our hospital, the pharmacists screen all the kids to see who's eligible and, you know, put them on a list and contact them. Yeah, absolutely. Our office in the outpatient world does the same thing. So most will be aware of this. So let's summarize the main points about RSV. RSV infection is so common. Almost all kids are going to get infected with RSV in the first two years of their life. And maybe all kids under two are getting it during this respiratory season. (laughs) But luckily, generally, it just causes cold symptoms. Yeah. So the RSV season is usually October through April. Although there's no specific treatment for RSV, there is supportive care. And the best ones are nasal saline drops and suctioning, which can make it easier for kids to breathe. Humidifiers can also help break up the mucus. An RSV infection can be complicated by more severe diseases, such as bronchiolitis or pneumonia. Children who are more at risk for severe disease include those born prematurely or born with some types of heart disease. Warning signs for more severe disease include difficulty breathing, such as breathing really fast, ribs sticking out or or kind of like sucking in under the, the sternum, or up here, like at the top of the neck, like right at the sternal notch, or the nostrils flaring out. I can see exactly where you're pointing, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I know. We might have to find a video of what like true increased work of breathing looks like to post on the blog. I'll work on that. Washing hands and avoiding people with cold symptoms can decrease risk of infection. And for children who are at risk for more severe disease, parents may consider avoiding crowded situations to further decrease their risk of infection. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of jokes about this kind of thing. So Is there? Yeah. So I'm just going to start with, with one. So what, what did the nut say when it sneezed? Um, I don't know. Cashew. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. What do you call two dogs breathing heavily? What? A pair of pants. Because they're panting. Oh, I get it. Panting. <laughs> panting well, that's yeah. what, what does that have to do with the bronchiolitis or RSV? Well, they're breathing hard. Like oh, if they okay. Have, I get it. Right? I get it. Yeah. 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 It's a stretch. I, I don't, yes. Yeah, I don't have a specific RSV joke. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was like. There's a lot of jokes about RSV. That's weird. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So this just passed through our household. And I mean, my daughter has had snot since she started. And then she's had intermittent fevers. So they tell you. I mean, as a pediatrician, when you're training for parents who have kids in daycare, they say your kid will get at least one one fever a month is normal. Mm Because, like, every parent comes to you at this time and thinks their kid has, like, an immunodeficiency and should go see you, Dr. (laughs) Dean, right? Mm -hmm. Or, like, Mm -hmm. what's wrong with my kid? They're, like, getting sick all the time. This is not normal. And then they come to see us and we reassure them that being sick all the time is normal in daycare. Expect one fever a month for the first year. And there's nothing to worry about. And then I 
enroll my child in daycare. And I'm like, what the heck is wrong with this child? Why is she sick all the time? Why is she getting one fever a month? This is not normal. Um, but I just have to tell myself, no, remember, this is normal. And so recently with the RSV, you know, it was just classic. It, it all started up here. It was snot and just dripping out. And then, you know, usually it will, if it's going to progress past the initial like upper respiratory infection stuff, it's like day three, four, five, maybe it starts to move down. And she started having this cough and little retractions and, you know, kind of like you could just hear that mucus in her chest moving around, not feeling quite as well. And I was like, oh, here we go. And we woke up and she was retracting a little bit and I had to call out of work, which is also just so I could watch her one day and and make sure that she didn't need to go in and get a little extra help. But we managed with snot sucking and fluids and she was like a happy little thing even when she was working, running around the house and playing. So I knew she was OK. Um, but she after that, you know, just a couple days of that, you know, lung involvement for her she was okay and was fine and then i got it and mine has luckily sort of remained upper respiratory (laughs) (laughs) Uh but it is just non-stop man this is not easy times yeah and you know what we're seeing now because of the pandemic is we talk about that first year of life kids in daycare with uh, one 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 febrile illness a month but yeah, I'm seeing three or four year olds who are are in that situation because they missed out on that first year in daycare, so they don't have that experience with getting those routine infections. And then they eventually they do grow out of it. They get more experienced with the commonly um, circulating respiratory viruses, so that they're much milder and they have much much less uh, febrile episodes. Yeah, Ugh, can't wait till we get to that point. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. 